Thanks for tuning in to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that you're blessed and encouraged to walk out the gospel as you listen to this message. Great to see you today. Good to have Pastor Josh back. He's had a fun week being the chaplain over at the hospital, and uh, I'm glad he's back. And uh, glad Emmy's doing so much better. That's it's always a scary thing to uh, have to watch your child suffer. And uh, boy, I tell you, she's a tough little thing, but we want her back in, in good form right away. So thank God. Thank you for praying. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to be able to share with you today. This time of year, there's so much that we want to tell you, and there's so much that the scriptures reveal about this moment. We're actually. The greatest thing and the most powerful thing God ever did other than creation was happening at Christmas time. And so here we are celebrating way downstream from that time. And I want to talk about some things today that are related to following the firstborn. There's an interesting scripture in Romans chapter 8 verse 29 and it says the following. It says, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. What I love about that is that it's not just us celebrating somebody way up there, which he is. And it's appropriate to do that. But it's also extremely important that we understand that we're not to be in this afar kind of relationship with him. He calls us brethren. Now, I realize that's sexist, but that's okay. The fact of the matter is that we are in a relationship that is brothers, brotherly, I should say. Uh, when we talk about brethren, we talk about people that are kind of in the same team or in the same focus or in the same uh, endeavor. And in effect, that's what we are. We are carrying out the works and the ministry of Jesus until he comes back again. In fact, we are his only teammates. He has no other plan to reach the world except through us via the Holy Spirit. So the Lord is doing something amazing, and he modeled these things in his, in his earthly life. When we really look at the amazing story of Jesus' birth, followed by his miraculous life, death, and resurrection, we can all too often lose sight of the message of God's long-term goals that are still in play. We need to relate to these amazing events as the, as the means to his ends. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit, for instance, was a means to his end. The same power and authority that rested upon him because of God's favor now rests upon you because of God's favor. We are using the same medium, if you will, the same authority, if you will, that Jesus himself had. And so we need to understand that his long-term goals of bringing us into that brethren place, into that place of, of co-leading co, co and co-living with him is, a virtue, is by virtue of the Holy Spirit. And so when we begin to look at our lives right now, we're a continuous, continuous of what Jesus started and what he is still about today. You know, this Christmas, and not, you know, there are many other Christmases we could probably have said this, but I think we can say it with an exclamation point at the end of it this year that the world is really going nuts. 
I mean, let's just face it, man, it's seeming like they've lost their corporate mind. And while it's admittedly a very unsettling reality, it's not at all unusual given mankind's history. What I want to express to you today is that God is unquestionably in control and still in pursuit of his stated goals, like the one stated above. That is bringing us into that brethren place with him where we're cohabiting in the kingdom and working with him toward his goals. Looking back, we can often find things that will help us find our way going forward. A proper understanding of the times associated with Jesus' first arrival on planet earth in Bethlehem would reveal a world in incredible chaos and particularly a dangerous time for any of God's people. You know, basically, as their oppressors were loudly declaring, we have no God but Caesar, the Lord of heaven and earth was quietly pursuing the introduction of his son to the world just exactly as the prophets had foretold, you know, proceeding absolutely on schedule without regard to the prevailing conditions. What I want you to see is this. That the chaos that man is able to create in no way hamstrings God's ability to keep his program on progress. We need to understand this personally, and we need to understand it corporately. While we're wringing our hands over the politics and the craziness in our world, God is proceeding right along course. None of this takes him by surprise. None of this in any way hamstrings his ability to do what he intended to do in you, in me, in the church, and in the world at large. He's in charge. God's not afraid of our chaos. In fact, most of the great revivals of of, of all time happen during times of incredible unrest and difficulty. So don't be afraid of that. God is not. Be looking for his fingerprints. Be looking for his move. Be looking for the voice of the Spirit of God to you telling you how to to traffic in these times. People are in need. We are in need. We're in need of him. Of all the things we need most, it's his presence. Of all the things we need most, it is his wisdom. An amazing thing about the way God works is he will let it get very, very dark so that he can light somebody on fire. There's nothing more welcoming than a light when you're living in darkness. Those who sat in darkness, the Scripture said, have seen a great light. It's magnetic. I remember many times being out on the water at night, especially on the ocean. And it's a little bit frightening sometimes because there's nothing to help you get your bearings And then you come around a point of land and you see a lighthouse somewhere and that is a sign to you exactly where you are. And you find peace in knowing where you can proceed. And the Lord himself is like that in these times. And the the prophetic word that God is giving to the world right now is just enough. And and those that don't follow God also are more vulnerable right now and, and are ready to hear what they've maybe not been ready to hear when times were a lot more prosperous. So be ready for that. Be ready for the Lord to ignite something in you that's not just for you. 
Sometimes we get very myopic about following Jesus, and what we need to understand is that we are God's means to his end. He wants to put something in me that is so desirable for other people that they'll listen to the words and how we got there and what the Lord did for us. Because they have an understanding, hey, if he would do it for you, he would do it for me. So just be ready in these times, especially as we get together with family members and people we don't see a lot perhaps, and, and everybody's willing to say Merry Christmas, and everybody's willing to, to, to enjoy the season. And man, I tell you what, I think this year is going to be a great time for us to share our Lord with people. You know, when we look back at the events surrounding the birth of Jesus, I find so much encouragement for living in the moment today. Let's take a look at some of the remarkable happenings that were associated with Jesus' birth and remind ourselves that the same God who orchestrated these momentous things in history is still in charge and deeply desires to engage with us who desire to follow him. I have my first takeaway from all that today is this. God's vastness and unlimited power is extravagantly displayed in the heavens and then unashamedly released to the world through the most common and unlikely vessels. You know, when we look at what happened back in the day, it was amazing. In the skies, God, you know, when I think about the mathematics of all of this and the and the intricacies of doing this thing on a macro scale like he did, he literally moved planets in ways that they had not been seen to be moved before. The years before Jesus' birth, two years before Jesus' birth, Saturn and Jupiter did something that only happened every 800 years. They came together in what was called a conjunction. And so it's something that the astronomers looked for. But not only did it happen once, it happened three times this year. I'm reminded of the, of the words that says every word should be, rem, should be confirmed in the mouth of two or three witnesses. And in this particular case, this once in 800-year event happened three times. And the following year, it happened again, only this time was joined by Mars. And while the Jews didn't see anything in that, they had no idea. There were some men over around Iran or Iraq, somewhere in that region, that were astronomers. And they were part of a cult belief system that said that one day this would happen. And when it happened, it portended the birth of a very important king. And when these guys saw these signs that others missed, they were so convinced that this was a sign from God that they literally mounted an expedition. They brought with them great wealth, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, three items highly prized in that world. And they set off across the desert for many, many weeks of journey to come and find this one that the star seemed to be resting over. All that's too much for me. I can't figure out how they followed the star, but the Bible says they did. These guys saw something. God was witnessing to people that weren't even Jewish. Up until that time, that was not done. In fact, the Jews of this era, they didn't really want to have too much to do with any other race of people. They felt like they were God's people. And God probably wasn't dealing with anybody else but them. And so they were far wrong. 
God is always reaching out to everybody who will reach back. You know, the interesting thing about this that, that really comes down to sharp relief to me when I, when I understand what, how cruel and, and how um, religion often pushes away people not like us. I think about the words of Romans 12 and 16 where it commands us to behave in such a way that we do not set our mind on high things but associate with the humble. I love the King James Version of that particular one where it says, condescend to men of low estate. And the Lord is not telling us to do something he is not willing to do. We're going to see that played out in a beautiful way. But here's, here's what I want you to see. Think of the power of God that is, that is limitless. It's awesome power of God. And think about us in relation to that, somehow or another, it doesn't seem like that could come together, does it? He's high and lifted up, but we're not. We, 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 have a, we have an inferiority complex when it comes to relating to God because he's so powerful and we're so not. But I want you to think about it this way. Over on the southwest part of town, we have a power plant. And they... They create or they produce electricity at high levels that can service the whole area. Well, if we were to receive that power in its original state, it would blow out every appliance we have. It would burn down our houses, and it would be an altogether bad thing. And in the Old Testament, people saw God that way, and I think a lot of us still do. You know, we, we, we feel like if God really showed up, we'd probably just burst into flame. Some of the Old Testament prophets, and, and, and when, we, we, when we see people that really have an encounter with God, there's often a, a falling on our face and just abject loss of, of strength. I think we understand that. But here's the beauty of it. God's power is not reduced. It's only put in a form we can receive it. For instance, there's probably transformers in your neighborhood that take power, and I'm not an electrician, so if I get this wrong and in, in, in specific, please don't, don't judge me. I, I'm just saying there's a principle here where those transformers take power that you can't use or receive safely and downgrade it so that it fits your need in a way you can receive it and utilize it. May I say... That that is precisely what the Lord Jesus did. That's what the Father had in mind. He brought his power to earth, not in such a way that would destroy us, but in such a way that could nurture us and provide for us things that we really need. So what he did was he used people. And this to me is, is so incredible. And I, I love this part of it so much because it makes it possible for me to see that I might be part of God's plan. That why, you know, when I began to look at the people that God used, I began to say, wow, if he could use them, I think there might be hope for me. Think about this. The Son of God, the Creator himself, comes to earth. Fully man, but fully God. And look who he comes through. 
This, to me, is just so, so incredibly amazing. We've got, we've got the Son of God himself, and, and let me give you the cast of people that he used. Zacharias and Elizabeth, first of all. Zacharias was a man, Josephus said of him that uh, he's the Jewish historian. He said of, of Zacharias that he was a, he was a man whose the, the snows of 60 years had fallen upon his head. So he was quite old in comparison to the average mean uh, lifespan of the time. He was old enough that as a priest, he would not have to do all the things he'd have to done all his life. And what we find is this man in this particular year is that when it came time to, to go to Jerusalem and to serve his, his particular uh, sect and tribe of people, he, they, they were supposed to go, and, and old Zacharias goes with them. And the service there in the temple was not some kind of exalted kind of service. It was very menial. I'm talking about manual labor that these priests, especially those from the outer regions, in fact, Zacharias was from a part of, of the country that, that was rural. And, and, in fact, these rural priests had never had any place at all in any of the major aspects of Judaism. They were just role players. They just did what they had to do. They were, they were menial, manual labor people, basically, when it came to, ser to service in the temple. But Zacharias came that year. And uh, Zacharias, as I said, was one of the rural priests. They had names for these guys. They called them rustics. Or on the other hand, they called them idiot priests. And they were not people that would be consulted with any serious matters or deep religious thought. They were just, as I said, role players on a local level, had no real role in the Judaistic practices other than that. But that year... They cast lots to see who would light incense and go before the Holy of Holies to pray on behalf of the, of the nation. And that year, Zacharias got the lot. Can you imagine this elderly man who thinks his life is over and thinks he's invisible and he can't imagine this kind of an honor? It was a once-in-the-lifetime kind of honor. You didn't just do this. It, it, was, it was a sovereign kind of sense that God had put you here. And this man's not used to this. And he walks into this, this uh, place called the holy place. It's just outside the holy of holies. And, and he's there to burn incense and intercede for the nation. And an angel comes to him and greets him. Begins to tell him that, that his prayers have been answered and and, and he and Elizabeth, his wife, who has been barren all these years, and you've got to understand that when a woman was barren in those times and couldn't have children, they considered it that she was under a curse. It's not good when the pastor's wife has a curse. You know what I'm saying? People believe this stuff. And there he was in a situation where they thought they'd been passed over. Not to have a child meant your lineage ended right there. And he's at that point where he's thinking about those kind of things. And, and the angel begins to address the prayers that they've prayed to say, your prayers are answered. There's somebody sitting in this room today that says, I've been praying about this a long time. And I feel compelled to tell you that your prayers have been answered. Not in the time you thought, but your prayers have been answered. 
And he knew exactly what those prayers were. He said, Elizabeth is going to bear a son. And he went on to talk about this son. And Zacharias is not buying it. He, he can't imagine. Who of us in, at, at this time of life, the, the biological clock has stopped ticking. This ain't going to happen. But the word of the Lord was the word of God. It doesn't matter how impossible it is in your situation if God says. And God likes to speak. He likes to come into these moments and prove himself strong on behalf of those that believe. You know, Zacharias, he, he, couldn't, he couldn't get on board with it. And, and so the, the angel said, you will not speak. Boy, a lot can happen when we can't speak. And some things happened to Zacharias over the next nine to ten months that uh, he would never have believed. And when it came time to name the baby, he named the baby just what the angel had said and his mouth opened when he said those words, a moment of obedience. And, you know, Zacharias and Elizabeth were forerunners in, in a way that their son would be a forerunner. She gave birth to John the Baptist, who was the greatest prophet born of woman out of the mouth of Jesus. Our next group is Mary and Joseph, two young, small-town teenagers that couldn't have been lower on the social scale. Mary was probably, according to historians, somewhere between 12 and 15 years of age, and she was already espoused to Joseph. Espousal was a fairly long engagement kind of process I won't go into, but uh, they, they had no sexual activity, of course, during those period of time. And, and uh, she was young, and she was a nobody, if you will, in the culture. Especially as a young girl, she would have had no say about anything. And the Lord sends Gabriel to her. Her husband-to-be, Joseph, is a carpenter. He's a... He's a great guy, obviously, but he's just, again, a nobody. I want you to think about the God that moved planets. Now is investing his most important investment in a teenage couple who are going to be soon embroiled in a non-wedded pregnancy. If you wonder... Why God does things like that. You know, he's not afraid to put us in situations where people will misunderstand us. It's not fun. You find out who's who in the zoo. You know, who's my friends and who's not. Who's listening to God and who's not. Don't be surprised when these conflicts come up. God never promised us that once we came to know him and once we began to move in his kingdom and move in gifts and move in all the things that he, 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 he invites us into that everybody's going to love us. You're going to have a lot of critics. And if Jesus coming into someone's life is enough to bring the critics out like they did, you and I need to be prepared for that. That's not in the notes. I'm just throwing that in for free. 
But considering the people that God chose to participate in the most significant action he'd undertaken since creation, we can see the principle of one of my very favorite scriptures of all, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. When we see that scripture, we, we, we say, what does that really mean? Well, at back in the day, you need to look at the context of the times. And back in the day, people lived in these kind of uh, shacks and hovels. They were, really weren't full, full bore homes. They were just kind of like clay and, and, and mud and all kind of things. They would build these little houses. There was no security in these houses. And let's just say that your parents had left you some keepsakes or some valuable things, some coins, some, some jewelry or something like that. And there was no lock boxes at the house. There was no bank that had a strong box that you could lock things up in. Basically, people were vulnerable to theft. And so what they devised as a way of dealing with that scenario would be to take just normal everyday things like, like uh, pots that, that they would use for water or, the, or what they would use for grain or storing foodstuffs or anything like that. And they would put the normal foodstuffs like wheat, let's just say wheat in, in, the, in the jar, and they would hide their jewelries or their valuables underneath all of that wheat so that if a thief came looking for it, they would see something common there and they wouldn't think anything about it. They would just be hidden in there and they might run their hand into it or something like that to find if there was anything else. But usually, you know, they wouldn't pay much attention to something like that. And that's the imagery that I want you to have. God says he puts his treasure in earthen vessels so that the excellence of the power or the awesomeness of the power would be seen to be from God and not from us. Here's the key. God wants to pour into you things, insights, blessings, love, healings, all manner of things, kingdom, in such a way that people know that's not from you. That they will see our good works and glorify God. It's, it's, it's the key to coming out of the place of thinking, but God's so powerful and I'm not very important. Let me just tell you that your enemy wants you to believe that. You are not important because of what you've produced. You're important because of what God said about you, what he wills for you, what he's willing to pour into you so that you can pour it out. And the purity of what we pour out as compared to what he's poured into us is the key. I don't want to pollute what God has poured in. God wants me to have a clean vessel, but I am a vessel nonetheless. I am flesh and blood nonetheless. I'm broken. I'm fallen. I'm all of those things. But God says, listen, I choose you. And I'm going to pour myself through you in such a way that people are going to know it was me. There's nobody here, nobody you know that is unqualified for that. It's a whosoever will kind of deal. 
Have you ever dreamed of being more than you are? I hope so. Have you ever dreamt of doing something great that you could be remembered by? I hope so. I hope you're not just living for what you can get out of life. I'm hoping that you're living for what you can give back to life. And that's why it's so important for us to understand that God is not waiting for us to be perfect before he uses us. He's just waiting for us to be available. And then what he pours into us is going to affect us first. People are going to say, what, what, what happened to you? I remember when I was first saved, I, I came out of the drug culture, and I, you know, I had a reputation. And I had, I had, I had people say, well, what, what on earth happened to you? I don't even know you anymore. I said, thank you. I am different. In fact, the Bible says I better be. It says if any man is in Christ Jesus, he's a brand new creature. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. That's not advanced. That's 101. We need to understand that, that, that we've been invited into a new culture that we're not in control of. Well, if I'm ever going to lose control, I really want to lose control in that one. There's, there's so much that the God who can move planets is saying, well, I'm willing now to move you. I'm willing now to reconfigure you. I'm willing now to take you out of the course of life that you expected and that you planned and that you desired even, and I'm going to put you in a course that is going to amaze you and it's going to amaze everybody else around you. And they're going to say, i got to have some of what you got. That's Christmas. It's been the Christmas story since the get-go. We would never have heard of Mary. We would never have heard of Joseph. We would never have heard of Zacharias and Elizabeth. We never would have. Because in themselves, they had nothing to offer. But we know about them. Heaven knew about them because of what they were willing to bear. I just have this sense this morning that somehow the way we worship God sometimes puts him so out of reach that it's not even practical. I have the sense that we, we think that we are untouchables because we're not this or not that or not what's projected by some great person in the kingdom. God is not judging you by what he's been able to do through somebody else. He's only going to judge us one day by what he was willing to do through us. What grace he gave us. What visitation he gave us. And what he gives us is what we're made steward over. Those that, the Bible says those that compare themselves among themselves, they're not wise. But don't we do it? We look at somebody that we admire in the kingdom, we say, I could never be like that. And so we, we basically justify uh, recoiling back into a spectator mode. And God's saying, come on out. Show the world what you got. And believe me, you have something if you're born again today. And it's enough. And it wants to, God wants to grow it in you. 
And, you know, as I look at these people and I think, Lord Jesus, they could not have been more obscure. They could not have been more invisible. And yet you found them, you knew them, you trusted them. You said, the angel Gabriel said to, to little Mary, you.